Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews. We're going to read the last verse of chapter 6 and then start into chapter 7. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago I stood here to preach the beginning of of Hebrews 6 and and said that many people thought that was the most challenging text to preach in the the entire New Testament. Well, Hebrews 7 is going to give it a challenge (laughs) as well. Would you pray for me today uh, as I preach this sermon? Um, This text we're going to read, it might sound confusing, um, and it can be somewhat confusing. My goal as as the preacher today is to take a confusing item and break it down and and make it uh, teachable and and then applicable for us today. So pray for me in that. This this is a, uh, a text that can, can, can be a little bit confusing today, but we're excited to turn to the Word of God. This is Hebrews chapter 6. We'll read verse 20, and then chapter 7, the first 10 verses. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we read together God's holy Word. The Lord Jesus once said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Starting in verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever." See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Friends, the grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we know that you intended uh, to give us this text just as we read it this morning. And we pray, God, that you would work amongst us, your Holy Spirit would lead and guide everything that I say, and things that are taught or learned today, Father, may they be from God. Uh, We pray 
Uh, We pray you give us clarity uh, about this text, and may we see Jesus through this text. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Friends, please be seated. All right, how many of you have a pair of these, or at least contacts? Yeah, glasses. You know, I remember when I first got my glasses, and I've needed them um, every day since then. Uh, they, they told me that I had a astigmatism in both eyes. And I said, well, Doc, what does that mean? And she said, that means your eyes are shaped like footballs, not basketballs. I said, there's a reason for that. <laughs> I mean, it made sense. <laughs> Yeah, she said it's more like a football, so that means everything's blurry kind of around the edges. We want to move more towards a basketball. I'm like, do we have to? So I I got my glasses, uh, and hopefully everything is better. Everything is better when I put my glasses on, except I fog them up too much when I'm up here. That's why I have to take them off all the time, so they'll defog, and then I'll put them back on. But, you know, if you don't have glasses, you probably will one day, or, or, or contacts. You'll probably have them one day. You know, um, I was watching a video, uh, an amazing video. Maybe you've seen one like this. Um, there, was a, there was a man, he was colorblind. And he had, had never seen the colors that, that, that we normally see. And uh, his family gathered with him, and he didn't know this was coming. But uh, they surprised him with these special glasses. And they had it all recorded. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't know what was happening, and he unwrapped this gift, and it was a set of glasses, and he was confused, and they said, put them on. So, so he put the glasses on, and then for the very first time in his life, he saw things as he was supposed to see them. He saw all the colors. They had the balloons there, the red balloon, the green balloon, the, the, the blue balloon, and, and he began to cry. And others around him began to cry, because for the very first time, He was able to see things like he was supposed to see them. He was able to see things rightly, correctly, with with color. He had spent his whole life seeing things incorrectly. But now he finally was able to see all of that correctly, the way that it was intended to be. Well, friends, I I tell you this story about glasses. I mentioned my glasses even this morning. Because a question comes to us today is... um, How should we view the Old Testament? I love that there is a cross on this pulpit because it allows me to to do things maybe before the cross and then after the cross, okay? So think about it this way. If the Old Testament is happening here, if this is a timeline, okay, and this is the Old Testament, all the things that happened before the events of Jesus, okay, and we learn that all of these things led up to the coming of Jesus, right? Abraham and Noah, Moses and David, all of those covenants, they were pointing to something, right? They were pointing to Jesus. They looked forward to Jesus, but that's not where you and I live. We live over here. We live after the cross, okay? So when we're on this side of the cross, live in this New Testament era, Yet we pick up our Bibles and we read a story that happened over here. How are we supposed to view this story? 
you know, some people on this side of the cross, when they view these Old Testament stories, they look around Jesus. They completely disregard the cross, and they maybe they look around him this way or under him this way, and they read these Old Testament stories. Let's just pick one, Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, okay? When all these sacrifices were made, and all this blood is shed, and Goats and calves are dying, and there's blood everywhere. And they're on this side of the cross, but they forget about Jesus, and they just read this story about this man going in behind a curtain and taking animals and all this blood, and it seems barbaric. They're like, that, that doesn't sound like good news or the gospel. And the problem is, if they read it this way, if they understand it this way, they're seeing it incorrectly. They're not seeing it the way it was intended to be seen. Because in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ says, you need to get your glasses out. Okay, You're not wearing your glasses. If you were looking over me or around me or under me and you're reading these stories without thinking about me, you're looking at them wrong. You're thinking about them wrong. And many of you know exactly where I'm going with this. Luke 24, 44. We'll put it on the screen. This verse, this is the glasses. This is the lens. Okay? And Jesus specifically sits down with his disciples and tells them, when you read all these stories, whether it's in the law of Moses whether it's in the prophets or the Psalms. You need to think about me. In fact, don't just think about me. Know that all this stuff is about me. Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That what? Everything written about me, Jesus says, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms are to be fulfilled. I know I've spent a lot of time at this pulpit going over this verse, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. This Jewish Bible. Jesus said the whole thing is about Him. And friends, if we stand on this side of the cross and we read a story that happened on that side of the cross and we don't put our glasses on, we don't have the lens of Christ, we're going to see these stories incorrectly. Like, just like that colorblind man. We're going to spend our whole life thinking, man, this is just a barbaric, weird testament. Why in the world did God give us this? But if you put your glasses on, you're going to say, oh man, I'm looking through the lens of Christ and I now see Jesus everywhere in my Bible. Friends, today you have that opportunity. You have the opportunity to join with me and put the lens of Christ on because in this text, we talk about all sorts of Old Testament themes and people. We talk about Abraham. We talk about Levi. We talk about all those priests and this interesting person named Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? And why would the author of Hebrews mention him at such a place in our Bibles? Well, as we study... Let's don't make the mistake of neglecting our glasses. Let's put them on. And let's use the right lens, the lens of Christ, and let's study these folks the way God 
would have us study these folks. Because I want you to know, all these New Testament writers, they're writing with these glasses on. They're writing, seeing all this stuff through the lens of Christ. Look on the back of your bulletin. We're going to go through three points today. By the way, <laughs> I was standing in the hall earlier today and with one of our youth, and the bulletin was there. We looked at the back of the bulletin, and I said, what do you think about that? He's like, that looks like a lot. It is. It is a lot. But I pray that these tools will help you put these glasses on and understand this text. Three main points. First of all, we're going to talk about this thing called typology. What, what is that? What does typology mean? And how, would, how does it affect our text today? Number two, who is Melchizedek? And how is he a type that foreshadows Christ? And then finally, why in the world does this matter? Why was Melchizedek even mentioned in the Bible? Let's walk through this today. But first of all, let's learn a little bit of theological understanding in answering this question. What is topology? So if you ever get a chance to go to RTS Charlotte and go through advanced biblical exegesis class, which I'm sure you're excited to do, you will learn something called topology. It's really quite simple to understand. It really means foreshadowing. The definition of topology is simply this. The foreshadowing of Christ through Old Testament people, events, or ceremonies. We'll put this chart on the screen, and we'll talk about different types of topology. It's also in your bulletin. Think about it this way. Let's start with David. In the Old Testament, David was both a king, or a, he's first a shepherd, right? He was a shepherd, and then he was a king. The Lord promised David in 2 Samuel 7, David, through your line, there will be someone who comes and sits on the throne forever. His kingdom will never, ever end. We get to the New Testament. And what does Jesus teach us? I am the good shepherd, right? The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus also teaches us that he is the king of kings. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, it goes into explicit detail by saying Jesus is that promised son of David, the one who would sit on the throne forever, whose kingdom would never end. That's Jesus. So just as David was a shepherd king, Jesus was a shepherd and a king. David, in a sense, was a type of Christ. Secondly, think about Israel. The Old Testament teaches us that Israel came under captivity. And they were brought down to Egypt, and they were under slavery for years. And God decided to go get Israel out of Egypt and to take them out of Egypt up into the promised land. When the prophets talk about this, they speak of Israel by saying, out of Egypt, God has called his son. And his son, in that sense, was Israel. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Yet when you get to the New Testament, the same Old Testament verse is used from the prophets in speaking of Jesus. It says, out of Egypt I've called my son. And you remember that Mary and Joseph had to flee King Herod and they went down to Egypt for a time, did they not? And they came back up to Israel, to Nazareth to live. Yes, you could certainly say out of Egypt God called his son Jesus. 
You have it in an event, Passover. You remember the 10th plague. Take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the sides of the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes, he will pass over you if the blood of the lamb is on your life and you will be spared. Doesn't take much to learn this one, does it? Jesus says in John chapter 1, verse 29 and 36, Behold, or John says this of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sin of the world. And you and I know if we have the blood of Christ on the doorpost of our lives, God will pass over us and we, yes, will be saved. Even Passover was a type and then even a ceremony. You know, that ceremony I was talking about a few moments ago, Leviticus 16. Aaron, the high priest, goes behind the curtain from the holy place into the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant is sitting there. He takes the blood of bulls and goats and pours it out. It's a mess, isn't it? There's blood everywhere, all over the top of the Ark, which is the mercy seat. The Shekinah glory of God manifests its presence there. So you have God and God's law. And in between was the blood of the sacrifice. The Bible teaches us specifically in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, went into the heavenly holy of holies. And he didn't come with the blood of bulls and goats in his hand, did he? He came and threw himself on the mercy seat, shedding his own blood. Once for all, says Hebrews 9.12, giving us eternal redemption. Friends, this is topology. This is an application of using the glasses. Luke 24.44, put on the glasses. And dear friends, I want you to know that that same topology, you see it in our text today. You see it specifically with this man named Melchizedek. And that leads us to our second point. Who is Melchizedek and how is he a type or a topology rather that foreshadows Christ? Many thanks to Danny for reading to us out of Genesis 14, even Psalm 110 about this mysterious man named Melchizedek. Only three verses in the book of Genesis about him and then again we see him in Psalm 110. Well, what do we know? What do we know about this story? Well, let's review what happened. Abraham was returning from war. And as he returned, he met this man named Melchizedek. Now, we remember that Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, right? The greatest of all the Jews, Abraham, the one everyone would appeal to in the Jewish world, Abraham. But Abraham met this guy Melchizedek, and the Bible says very few things about him, but they're very important things. Number one, he was a king. Number two, he was also a priest. By the way, how many people in the Old Testament are both kings and priests? Zero. Think about that. During Abraham's time, the short time with Melchizedek, at least two things happen. Number one, Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Now notice the order there. 
Melchizedek didn't give a tithe to Abraham. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. And then number two, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Again, the order is important. Abraham didn't bless Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. I want you to hold on to those two things, the tithe and the blessing. Hold on to those two things. Just set them over here on the side. We'll pull them back over in just a moment, okay? But hold on to that. Now, let's first zoom in and let's talk about this topology of Melchizedek to Christ. Because the Bible teaches us that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. We know the Old Testament teaches us that Melchizedek was a king. We know in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us, even in the Gospels, as Jesus was being crucified, nailed above his cross was what? King of the Jews. Revelation declares Jesus as the king of kings. So in a sense, Melchizedek's kingship foreshadowed Jesus. Secondly, he was the king of Salem. You say, what, what, is that, what does that mean? I don't know if you noticed this. When Danny read our call to worship today from Psalm 76, it talked about Salem, S-A-L-E-M. Where is that? Well, friends, before Jerusalem, Jerusalem was Jerusalem, it was known as Salem. Salem is translated peace from the word shalom in the Old Testament, peace. So Melchizedek was the king of Salem, the very place where Jesus would do his ministry, the very city where Jesus would be crucified, the very place that the Prince of Peace would go to bring peace between God and men, Salem. Thirdly, the Bible says that Melchizedek was the king of righteousness. If you translate Melchizedek's name, Melchizedek, it means the king of righteousness. You see it point blank in the text in verse 2. It translates it for you, that he's the king of righteousness. Do we not know that Jesus is the completely righteous king? Being tempted just as we are, yet without sin, Jesus is fully and completely Righteous. This name, King of Righteousness, points us to Christ. But then there's a shift. We move from king language to priest. The function of a priest is to be a mediator. We've talked about this many, many times. So a prophet and a priest are both mediators. A mediator is the man in the middle, okay? And on one side is God, on, one, on the other side is God's people, okay? A prophet speaks with God behind him to the people. He speaks with the authority of God to the people, thus saith the Lord. Okay? But the priest turns the other way, right? The priest comes with the testimony of the people speaking to God. Melchizedek was a priest. We know that Jesus was not only prophet, but he was priest. Jesus was the one who spoke with the testimony of his people behind him to God. Jesus came being perfectly righteous and dying on the cross for all these people's sins. And he did that to God. 
So Jesus indeed is a priest. We also learn, and this is the challenging one, by the way, this verse 3. Maybe you read that and you thought, well, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting take. Let's, let's just read verse 3. Verse 3 says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling, underline resembling, resembling, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. You say, Adam, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that Melchizedek is... Is, is this really talking about Jesus? Is this Jesus showing up in the Old Testament? Is this a Christophany, the appearance of Christ? I don't believe it is. I believe Melchizedek was, Melchizedek was a man just like you and me. Genealogies were very, very important in the ancient Near East. Okay? In fact, you read Matthew 1, it's a lot of genealogy. You read Chronicles, a lot of genealogy. This guy didn't have one. It got lost in the shuffle somewhere. We didn't know his father or his father's father. We didn't know his descendants. We just know that this man showed up as a king and as a priest. And because we didn't know his history and because we didn't know his future, he kind of has this appearance of being eternal. Like he's always been there. We know he has been, had, did have parents and did have a future, but it has this appearance that he just showed up out of nowhere, and then left out of nowhere. So in other words, he kind of seems eternal. That's why I think the author says resembling the Son of God. So Jesus, in a sense, well, not just in a sense, not just seems or appears, Jesus is eternal, is he not? Jesus has no beginning, no end. That's why this, the, this is the comparison there. So friends, this is the topology that is the backdrop to this third and final point. So know who he is. Know how he is a type or a topology that points you to Christ. But let's kind of get down to it now, this third point. Why does any of this matter? This is a lot of heady stuff, right? This is a lot of, why, why does any of this matter? Well, the short answer is because Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is better than Abraham and Melchizedek. But that wouldn't be a good explanation for this sermon. Let's dive deeper. Now, before we dive deep, I want you to try to think like a first century Jew would think. okay? Because this letter was written to first century Jewish people who had heard the gospel and believed upon Christ. This letter was written to people who thought Abraham is the man. He is the end-all, be-all. Okay, who's saying Father Abraham had many sons? Okay, yeah, we, we, we all did it. I know I did it in my children's church days. These people were singing it big time. Okay, Father Abraham, he was the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the faithful. So in your mind, think like a person who says, Abraham is the end-all, be-all. Okay. This author is writing to these people and he says, look, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. What didn't he say? He didn't say Jesus is a priest after the order of Levi. You remember the history, right? Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. 
one of the sons was named Levi. When the children of Israel entered into the promised land, did all 12 of those children and the tribes, did all 12 of them get land? No. Only 11 of them got land. Why? The Levites didn't get any land, okay? What was their responsibility? To be priests, to take care of the temple, right? So all the 11 other boys and their descendants got land except for Levi, but it was out of Levi that you got the order of the priests, and these descendants of Levi worked in the temple. And what would happen when people came to the temple? They would give a tithe. They would give a tenth. By the way, that's the way Levites were fed. That's the way Matt's fed. That's the way I'm fed. It's the way, think about this. I mean, let this make sense now, okay? That's the way the Levites were fed. People gave a tithe, tithe and a tenth, just as you might give a tithe. That's the way the church staff is fed, because there's no, there's, the plot of land wasn't given to the Levites. So, the original tithe was given to the Levites who served within the temple. Um, that's how they got income. That's how they stayed alive. But, in this text, you think, okay, the Levites aren't alive yet, right? Because Abraham hasn't had his children yet. The, the Levites aren't alive yet. But, in a sense, the Levites are in the loins of Abraham. And Abraham's the father of the faithful, right? So you would think if Abraham meets anybody that the tithe would be given to Abraham. The blessing would come from Abraham, right? But it doesn't. In fact, it's the very opposite. Abraham gives the tithe to Melchizedek, and instead of Abraham blessing Melchizedek, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. If you're a first century Jew reading this stuff, that's, that's mind-boggling. You're like, what just happened? I thought Abraham was at the top of the ladder with the Jewish nation. What is going on here? Okay, so what the author of Hebrews is trying to do, the ultimate place he's going is to tell you that Jesus Christ is a better type of priest any priest that came from the loins of Abraham. So on this side, let's say you have Abraham, and on this side you have Melchizedek. On this side, the Levites came from Abraham, but Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Which one's better? That's what the author's telling us. He's going to explain to us. He's going to say, Jesus is better, and there's two reasons why. Number one, look back at the tithe. Remember, I said put the tithe and the blessing over here. We're going to bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's talk about the tithe and the blessing. The tithe. We see verse 4 of this text teaching us that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, not Melchizedek to Abraham. Think like a first century Jew. You think this is crazy because Abraham's at the top of the ladder. 
but Abraham didn't get the tithe. In fact, isn't it the Levites who normally get the tithe? Yes, because they're working in the temple. This is backwards. But even though Levi, you could say, wasn't born yet, you could say, the Bible says, verses 9 and 10, Levi paid tithes through Abraham. Look at it. Look at verses 9 and 10, because this explains it real well. It says, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes normally, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek made him. What is happening here? Levi, through Abraham, is giving a tithe to Melchizedek. What the Bible is trying to tell us is that Melchizedek and the priests that come from him are greater than even the priest that came from Levi. That's going to be important here in just a second. Hold on to that. But secondly, you have the blessing. Look back at verses 6 and 7. But this man, who does not have descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Okay, you're like, okay, first century Jews, let's take a poll. Who's the greatest Jew? What would, be, what would the answer be? Abraham. Of course, Father Abraham had many sons. Of course it's Abraham. But you're telling me that Abraham didn't do the blessing? That he got blessed? You're, you're telling me that there's somebody else who gives the blessing? You're telling me there's somebody superior even to, to Abraham? Yes. It's astounding to a first century Jew. Who is it? Melchizedek. Melchizedek, this king priest, gives the blessing to Abraham, and Abraham receives it. We'll put John 8.56 up. Walt, go ahead. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus was talking about Abraham. All the things he went through. The book of Galatians teaches us that the gospel was given to Abraham beforehand. And Jesus said it this way, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Friends, what I believe is happening here is that Abraham was seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ getting ready to happen in front of him. He, was, he, he knew that from his line one would be raised up greater than himself. And this priest, king named Jesus, would exceed everything that Abraham is, exceed every system of, of priesthood that the Levites would give us, and this Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek and not Abraham. Jesus said it this way. We'll go to the next verse, Walt. Verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What the Bible is saying is that one greater than Abraham is now here. Christ is in the order of Melchizedek. He's in the order of this king, priest, this person who has no genealogy, who's been here forever. So Abraham proves that because Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the priesthood of Jesus is greater than the priesthood of Levi. But let's let the rubber hit the road, shall we? 
Because that's a lot of heady stuff. Why does this even matter? Why, Pastor Adam, do you keep saying this word Melchizedek? Let's talk about this. Let's go back to these glasses. Put your glasses on. Okay? You're standing on this side of the cross. You, you, you read this story in a New Testament time talking about an Old Testament event. I want you to see this through the lens of Christ. Put the glasses on. Let's talk about the difference between Jesus descending maybe from the Levites priesthood compared to Melchizedek. I want you to be glad, friends, that Jesus is not of the order of Melchizedek, or uh, is not of the order of Levi. Here's why. Do you remember that first high priest who descended from Levi? His name was Aaron. Let's talk about all the things that Aaron did and compare them to what Jesus did. You ready? Aaron descended of Levi. Do you remember Aaron? He entered into an earthly tabernacle, right? The Bible says Jesus, because he is of Melchizedek, he didn't enter into the earthly tabernacle. He entered into a heavenly tabernacle. Aaron had to bring sacrifices for his own sins. Think about it. Aaron's, Aaron's carrying all these animals, all this blood, dripping it on the mercy seat. He had to do that for his own sins and for the sins of the people. But Jesus, friends, Jesus was our heavenly priest. Jesus had no sin. He had no need to sacrifice for himself, did he? Jesus is better. This priest on this side, Aaron, he had blood of bulls and goats. And as he sacrificed them, Hebrews 10 says it was an annual reminder of sin. And he had to do this once a year every year because it was never finished there was no finality you see the the priest according to levi the work never stops you never sit down you never say i'm done but on this side jesus did not come with the blood of bulls and goats in his hands jesus came as a priest but he threw himself on the holy of holies on on the on the top, on the, on the lid of the ark, the mercy seat, he threw himself on it, and he shed his own blood. And how many times did he do that? Once. Not to be repeated every year. He did it once for all time. And over here, Aaron had to come behind that curtain, right? History tells us there was a, a rope tied around his foot because if God killed him, they'd just pull him out. He had to go behind the curtain. What did Jesus do to this curtain? He ripped it in half from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, when he said what? It is finished. The curtain was torn in two. And you know what that tells you and me? That on this side, only the high priest could encounter God in the Holy of Holies. But Jesus says, now I've ripped this curtain in half. Every single one of you can come. To the most holy place. Because through my blood, you have the forgiveness of your sins. You don't have to be reminded of it all the time. And do this every year, anticipating forgiveness. I've done it once. I've done it for all. To telestai means it is finished. Aren't you glad that Christ's priesthood is not after the order of Levi? 
But it's after the order of Melchizedek, this king, priest, who is eternal, who came once for all time, dealing with your sin permanently and completely. Isn't it great to say, every time you lay your, your head on your pillow at night and you go to bed as a Christian, you can say, it is finished, the battle is over, Jesus won the victory for me. I don't have to wonder where my sin is or who's going to take care of it if there's going to be another sacrifice tomorrow because Jesus paid it all. And because he did that for me, I'm going to love him and follow him with all my heart and all my life. Oh, dear friends, put your glasses on, right? See that Old Testament through the lens of Christ. And you can know today the simple message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who laid down his life for you, that you might be saved through his blood, through his life work. Hold on to Jesus. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thanking you that you made a way for sinful man to get to a holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not in a goat or a bull that we trust in. It's not in some temporal thing that just reminds us of our sin, but through the precious blood of the Lamb of God who took our sin away, has moved, removed it as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we come to you today and give, give you so much thanks. And Lord, may we be encouraged as we leave this place to love you even more for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.